0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the PackerNet Podcast. I am your host and resident fan list, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So I know a lot of you wanted me to do a uh, bonus episode. I probably could have in terms of, you know, at least doing like a 15-minute, hey, here's what happened, and then getting a little more in-depth because this is probably going to be multiple days of looking into this. The plan for today, which doesn't mean a single thing, is to really just very briefly touch on a lot of different stuff. I want to look at contracts. I want to look at the draft. I want to look at the prospects themselves and what little I've learned about them so far, um, as well as kind of touch on some of the stuff going on in the NFL. Um, And we'll see where that leaves us, because it was a massive flurry, and I don't want to overextend too much, because obviously we don't know anything about the contract. We probably know a little bit about the contracts, but... I mean, they're not even signed yet, and uh, I mean, obviously th- these guys aren't going to back out. We we saw Preston and Zadarius and Amos all talking about how grateful they are and everything. So they're they're coming, but let's not forget we already had somebody back out, had some crazy stuff happen. So w- once the ink dries, we'll have a little bit more information and we'll understand the the structuring of the contracts, which is going to tell us a lot about um, you know the expectations of the players and and all those kinds of things. Also you know how this is gonna work as far as how much money we have. I don't know if we're out of money or if we have a little bit more to play with, but it'll be it'll be good to see those contracts. But anyways, before we get into that and by the way there's uh some text messages and phone calls. I I don't know. I don't know where and how and when these things are gonna fit in. But if uh, if it makes sense and we got time we'll do it today. Otherwise we'll save it for tomorrow. Again, I don't know. But before we get there, as always, if you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and review, I, I am I'm really blown away with uh, how responsive everybody's being with the ratings and reviews. It's it's really, really awesome. I said the goal was 80 like three days ago, and we're almost there. So I tell you what, if we, I know I said 80, but I lied because I want to beat Packaday. So if we get four more ratings and reviews, I will leave it alone for a little while and stop begging you for it. We're going to jump back on the horse because I'm just going to find a new goal to try to go get, but try to jump in there because... Um, by this Saturday, I would like to try to do that mock draft, and I may try to do several. I don't know how much time I have, uh, mostly because I have not consulted with my wife to find out how busy we are. That is my usual routine, uh, toward the end of the week. I ask her how many things she told me we're doing and I agreed to, but I don't remember, you know? The whole, like, remember I told you this, and it's like, nah, I don't, but I'm going to trust you that you would never lie to me, and that I did agree. Because it sounds like something I would do, just blindly agree to something because that's three months in the future and I don't really care at that time. Because present me hates future me so much. I love giving future me just a ton of stuff to do all the time. Of course I'd love to do that. I would love to spend an entire Saturday doing something else. Non-football related, non-relaxing related. Today me? No, today me is, is all about me. Future me? Forget that guy. He hates free time. So, yeah, that definitely sounds like something I would do, and I'm sure I agreed to that. So let's uh, let's pack up the car and get after it. That is me all day. But anyways, um, I do want to get into that, so I will be starting to pick names out of a hat, and I again, I'd like to get through as many as possible and do several if possible, and we can do a bunch of different bonus episodes. If I can knock out three or four of those, which is probably going to be very hard to do, just as far as logistics, but uh, and then just kind of do three or four throughout the week bonus episodes, and then maybe next Saturday we'd do something else. So, and by the way, this isn't like, if I didn't pick your name, you're never going to do anything ever again. Just, just wait. I'll think of something else. But uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you leave a rating and review, let me know that you did. Get in the Facebook group. There's a video at the top. It's detailing all the draft stuff and what I'm planning on doing and how this is going to go. Just either, you know, you can leave a screenshot of the rating review. If that's weird, you you can send it to me privately because the more I thought about it and I saw people doing it, it's like, I don't know if I'd want to do that. That's kind of uncomfortable. Like, here's the glowing terms that I said about you. If you want to just take like a screenshot of the five stars or just leave me your name, although I don't know if that's going to work because I can only see three reviews. I don't know. Give it a try. If I can't find it, I'll probably just ask you to screenshot your name with the review. If you want to get involved, if not, a review just for the sake of reviewing the show is, is very appreciated. Anyways, if you'd like to call in or text in, that number is 608 501 608-501-0718. All calls and texts are appreciated. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. As well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get ten percent off your first purchase by going to arenaclub dot com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy! Offer ten percent off a four hundred dollars slab pack. That's forty bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub dot slash packdaddy for ten percent off your first purchase. All right, let's get let let's get the elephant in the room taken care of first of all. and and, and by the way. I do have to offer an apology. I promise you this was not a spite. I'm not mad about this, other than at Dave Gettleman. But let's talk about Odell Beckham. Because I've been saying for a very long time, no way dude's getting traded because it doesn't make sense. Well, guess what? I was wrong, but I'm still absolutely right. There is a very good reason that the Browns are now talking or talked about as Super Bowl favorites and the Giants are being laughed at. Because trading the Giants is dumb. And what Dave Gettleman said about we just extended him, how much sense does it make to trade him? We didn't extend him to trade him. We're not going to trade him. All this, he, he, he apparently didn't mean it, but he should have meant it because that makes sense. And when I saw the compensation, come on, man. I mean, look, if, if, if this guy's just a headache and you can't stand him and you're looking at it, and you're like, this guy's a nutcase, He's terrible in the locker room. He's injured all the time. I want him gone? Then fine. Then fine. Because now there's rumors, and and, I mean, there's so many rumors. I don't know what's right and what's not anymore, apparently. But there's talk that Gettleman was actually shopping him. Now, that's hard to believe that nobody picked up on that. None of the insiders knew that he was calling people saying, hey, man, you want Odell? Up until after the fact. But whatever. But before I forget... I woke up this morning, and there was a bunch of stuff that people wanted posted in the Facebook group. So I'm flying through, sipping my coffee, and I'm like, accept. Okay, this is about this, accept. All right, accept. You know, I'm, I'm just doing a cursory check to make sure somebody is not posting, I don't know. I'm not going to get into details, but things that are not football-related or I don't want in the Facebook group. But I'm not doing a thorough, you know, whatever. I'm not actually clicking on the articles like, I want to make sure this is a real Packers article and not some gag article. Don't get any ideas, please. Why did I just say that out loud? But anyways, I'm just, I swear to you, I come down and I see Sean Luke. Dude's awesome. Been in the group for a long time. And he's got an Odell Beckham thing. And I immediately am like, oh, here we go. And then he says something to the effect of, my man Ryan said Odell's not getting traded. So you know that means he's getting traded, which is great. Because now I'm being put in, in great company like guys like Charlie Casterly that I've been trashing and all these other guys who don't have a clue what they're talking about. So that's great company. I, I love that. I mean, I guess it is. I mean, now that I'm, I'm saying things like this and getting blasted, I expect a payday. I should be getting a minimum of a half a million dollars a year. And I await ESPN's offer. But I'm I'm just telling you. I went to hit accept and I hit delete. So... Mr. Sean, if you'd like to repost that, I do apologize. I swear that was not out of spite. It just it, it just had to happen that way. And that's never happened before. But it, 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 I'll admit it was entirely impossible that it was something subconscious in my brain that was being spiteful. There's a little thing somewhere deep in there, deep, 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 that said, nope, hate that guy and hit delete. I don't know. You, you may also be out of the group. Maybe I blacked out and kicked you out of the group. I don't know. Please check that and let me know what's going on. But whoopsie-doozy, and it's like, man, does that make me look really spiteful. But no, look, I'm not even mad because the Giants are what are you trying to do? I'm going to get to the Packers because I know that's the biggest thing, but what in the world are the Giants trying to accomplish? So you're keeping Eli, and eventually you're going to get a new guy, and he's going to have what? You got rid of Eli Apple, you got rid of Landon Collins, you got rid of Olivier Vernon, you got rid of Snacks Harrison, you got rid of Odell Beckham. What, what are What is the goal here? Just, you know, we've got too much talent to surround a quarterback with, so we're going to purge everybody, and then next year, when we don't have anybody, you know, next year we're going to get rid of, I don't know. I don't even know who we have left, but whoever it is that's making plays, we're going to find out who our number one receiving threat is, whether it's our tight end or what, and we're going to get rid of them. And then we're going to draft a quarterback, because that's how you're supposed to do this. He's got to come in here and suffer. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. That's dumb. The Browns, on the other hand, have all players. Um, we'll we'll see how it pans out, but, you know, the, the Browns are following that similar trajectory. They're just doing it at a much high level, and, and by similar trajectory, I'm talking about those teams... That are looking at it and going, okay, we got a rookie on a rookie deal. Beyond that, they had a bunch of draft picks. So some of these guys actually panned out. Some of them not so much. But he keeps the ones that panned out. He shipped off instantly as soon as he got there. He's like, nope, don't like these. You know, ninety percent of these picks are absolute trash. He sent them off, got as much compensation as he can, turned those into decent draft picks. Made a bunch of other trades and took all this extra massive amounts of, of cap money because all the talent came in the last couple of years when they had 17 first-round draft picks. So all the talent is really young and on rookie contracts, and they're all high first-round picks. So they have a massive amount of money. So they go out and get Odell Beckham, and now they're talking about getting Earl Thomas. And they already got Jarvis Landry, and they've, they've got their quarterback, who seems to be a really good quarterback. And they, they drafted a running back who is maybe the best running back in the NFL. Oh, and they added Kareem Hunt to that list of, of running backs. And David is pretty solid. And their defense just continues to stack talent. And they got Olivier Vernon from the Giants to go on the opposite side. I mean, it's just it's just absolutely crazy. I mean, at the very least, they have to win the division. I, I You can't really predict beyond that once you get into the playoffs because that's when crazy stuff happens. Every team, no matter how much talent, has bad days. So it doesn't mean you're automatically going to get a Super Bowl. But there's no question they've got enough talent to do it. I mean, it's there. It exists. So they are in the running. And, and really, and again, I, and this is another thing I've said. Since we like to rehash things I say wrong, Dorsey's a good GM. I don't know why everybody was saying he wasn't. I I, I, I don't know. Again, maybe it was just people making fun of him for being goofy. Because I, I don't. I know he was well-respected with the Packers, and when the Chiefs got him, I believe he was still well-respected. And then he drafted like a genius and stacked that team with talent, and then he goes to the Browns, and it's like, oh, this guy's a goof. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. This guy's weird. He's like this old grandpa who wears sweaters, and look at how he's trading all his players away, and brr, It's like, okay. But anyways, pretty solid. But again, like anything else, we got to watch it, because you cannot pay all these guys forever. So he understands there's a window closing. He, he probably also understands because of all these first-round picks who are on rookie contracts, there's going to come a time when a lot of these guys are going to want contracts, and we can't even keep all the guys that we have that we drafted. But right now, we have all of them, and we can't afford all of them, and we have a bunch of money left over. So we want all the talent, all the players. Just give me all, please. So it makes sense for them. Let's switch gears and talk about the Packers. That'll be a decent segue, because the fact of the matter is not every team can and should follow the same strategy. Talked about, I think, yesterday, some teams maybe can weather the storm of high-volatility players. I don't think the Packers can, and I don't think they should, with a first-year co- uh, head coach and the problems in the locker room, et cetera. Et cetera. The Packers are in a different situation than the, the Browns, and I, I know... Some Packers fans, as excited as they are to see some moves being done, are looking at the Browns and going, oh, come on, man. Why can't – I mean, yeah, we sign people, but we get Preston Smith and they get Odell Beckham. Give me. I mean, I, I did see a couple people. This is ridiculous. They had the compensation to get Khalil Mack, and they didn't. They had the compensation mean, once they saw the compensation for Odell. like We could have done that deal. They offered up a 17. We could have offered up a 12. Our first and second means, you know, we could have given them You know, Josh Jones, who's not as good as Jabril Peppers, but a similar type of player, plus better draft capital. We could have given it to him. We could have had Odell Beck. I don't, yeah, but no, man. As an intro, and it's really hard to figure out how to touch on all these things because there's just so much. But as an intro, let's just say this. Brian Gutekunst went out and got guys, and this is so completely divergent from what Ted Thompson did. He got guys in their prime that are going to be contributors for the remainder of Aaron Rodgers' career, probably. Not definitively, but that's that's sorta of the vision. This isn't like so so this isn't all in. You you can call it all in if you want because he's making moves, but all in to me is all in this year. Dorsey is all in this year at the expense potentially of the future. And that's maybe a bad way to put it because it's I mean, the future may may not be there anyways because, again, they're going to have to purge some of this talent because they can't afford it all, so might as well try now. Again, every team has to assess their current situation and what the best track is moving forward, and the Packers have their own unique situation. The Packers have a situation where they have several years of Aaron Rodgers. I don't want to go all-in this year at the expense of next year, and I've said that several times. But going a lot in... To give us a baseline, which is how I see this, because listen, Preston Smith has has upside. He's not an elite pass rusher. Not, I mean, he he can get there, but I'm just saying, everything I have to look at now doesn't necessarily. And he's got some good numbers. I I don't know that he. We didn't get D Ford, right? If we wanted D Ford, if we wanted to go all in, we'd get D Ford and we'd get Earl Thomas and we'd call it a day maximize the money to, to maximize the talent this year, give them short contracts, although D Ford wouldn't be short, maybe Justin Houston and, and Earl Thomas. Older guys that can produce at a high level as, as in these specific kinds of ways to just give us that edge and just make a real hard push this year. But the fact of the matter is we, we've got Aaron Rodgers for a, a period of time. Let's maximize that entire time spectrum, and that's exactly what Gutekunst did. And again, when I say it gives us a baseline, what I mean is now when we look at the defense, and there's still holes. I mean, some people are going so far as to say we don't have holes. We, we do have some holes, but it's not any one hole position like safety in general. We still need another safety because you typically need two, sometimes three on the field, and we officially have one right now. Um, you know, we, we could use another linebacker probably, maybe corner. Again, I'm not going to go down that road again, but in terms of talent as far as what I can see and know and everything, maybe. But what it does now is gives us the opportunity and and for the long run. I'm not talking short term. I'm talking about again for for the foreseeable future. We have a baseline of just being a a I don't I don't even want to say good defense because I don't know that for sure. A not horrible deficient defense where it's like we've got some really good players like Kenny Clark, but then we have just nobody at outside linebacker. We've got Jair and, you know, some decent corners, but we have literally nobody at safety. I mean, Tremont, again, is he's not abysmal, but he's getting a little older. He's better at corner than safety. He can manage, but, I mean, this is not a, this is not a solution. This is patchwork, and there's nobody behind. We don't have – Kentrell Bryce isn't a, isn't a starting safety. If you want to tell me he's our backup, fine. He's not a starting safety. Th- this is, these, these are solid players – and it makes this defense solid and respectable so that we have something to build around now. Now we can go out and get players and just get good players and add it to this already solid team. And and if you look at the guys that we have, these are a lot of guys that are just non-deficient. You listen to what, uh, for example, Pro Football Focus put out a video about Adrian Amos, and they're talking about their grade of him. And, and a lot of people are trashing them. Like, dude, you guys grade him way too high. He's not that good. And what they said is, well, he is good. Because we not only grade positive plays, but we negatively grade negative plays. So a lot of the big names like Landon Collins, like, oh, you guys, you know, whatever, whatever. Okay, he has a lot of big flashy plays. So in other words, his highlight reel is going to be better than Amos's highlight reel. But we also are going to negate and, and negatively grade negative plays. And Amos just doesn't have a lot of those. Whereas Landon Collins and some of these other big name guys that everybody's aware of, they have a lot more negative plays, missed tackles, and, and blown assignments, and all these different things. You look at, for example, a D Ford. D Ford is is high volatility, right? It, it's high risk. It just it gives me anxiety just thinking about the total cost of D Ford. And then you figure, even if we know he's a good pass rusher, we have to give up the draft capital. We have to pay a lot of money, and then he's a very good pass rusher, but he's not good off the edge. He's not good at setting the edge. He's not a good run defender. He's not even a great tackler. But Zadarius Smith, he does provide good pass rush. He is a good tackler. He is a big, strong, 275-pound beast off the edge. Preston Smith, he's not a speed rusher off the edge. He's, he's not terrible, and I'll, we'll get into the numbers in a little bit. But again, just big, solid, smart football player, right? He's one of those guys who, if, if you're not going to, what do they tell you? If you're, if you're not going to get home, get your hands up. I don't know the exact phraseology, but it's something to that effect. He's that guy, right? I'm not getting there. The quarterback drops back. He's going to push off the offensive lineman, drop back so nobody's got hands on him, and get his hands up. That's why he's got a pick every single year. He's got a ton of bat downs and everything else. Smart football player, good against the run, fundamentals. What did I talk about all last year? It's the problem of fundamentals. We see the flashy plays. We see the 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 occasional sack and, and all these different crazy things and the crazy blitz that accounts for this or that and, and petting, making crazy stuff happen. The problem is guys have a hard time with things like, oh, I don't know, tackling and just, just you know, laziness. I, I put out a thing about haha, which was just low-hanging fruit. I was talking to a friend and I said, watch me just get destroyed on Twitter. This is going to be hilarious. Because that was haha's whole thing, right? Haha's whole thing was, eh, I just don't feel like putting in the effort. And there was a lot of that going on with the Packers, where you're watching it just like, what are you doing? Why are you over there instead of over there? Why are you not just trying? What kind of a ridiculous, how many times, just let's go back a second. How many times last year did we see somebody that ran or run after the catch that got 20, 30 yards, maybe a touchdown, because there were three, four, five guys from the Packers that just missed the tackle, right, just lazy tackling. Bad angles, so he didn't get there. Another guy comes over nipping at his ankles, doesn't do anything, another guy just completely bounces off like he's he's trying to throw a shoulder, like What in the world are you doing to the point where you're just embarrassed by your defense as a Packer fan? Right? We always come out and we're bragging about stuff. Like, oh man, we're gonna have the best defensive line. You don't even know. Our run defense is gonna be solid. Mmm. And then we you see that and everybody just laughs at us. Like, you guys you guys just don't learn. You're always bragging about your defense and you guys are always terrible. I'm tired of being laughed at. I'm tired of watching the defense and just going, "Why are you terrible all the time?" This is the baseline. Again, not perfect. I don't think Zadarius is going to be the best pass rusher in the NFL. I don't think he has the d Ford upside. I don't think Preston Smith is that guy. But they provide they do provide pass rush both of them do, which is going to complement the interior. So we have four guys that can get it done and do get it done, but we also get guys that are fundamentally sound guys that just aren't going to blow it for you. Adrian Amos is the exact same way. Adrian Amos, and and, he, and versatile would be the other word. That would be like if there's one word, it's versatile. Both of these guys, if you look at their snap counts, about 50% were outside linebacker, 50% were hand in the dirt. And some of them, it's, it's you know, you got to add up all the different hand in the bird bur- bur- and in the dirt because it's, you know, uh, defensive end outside, which is like wide outside the elephant or whatever you call that, where you line up kind of way out there where the outside linebacker would, but your hand is in the dirt. And then there's the right end where you're a little bit more off the tackle. Then there's, you know, defensive tackle. Some of them even play a couple snaps at nose tackle. But you add all that up, it's, it's, it's about 50-50. Between how many times they stood up and how many times their hand was in the dirt, you look at Zedarius, I mean, the guy is as explosive from the inside, he's as penetrable as a defensive end with his hand in the dirt as he is as an outside linebacker standing up, incredibly versatile. Adrian Amos, if you look, I, I went back and just watched the, the week one game against the Packers with, with uh, against the Bears. I think Andy Herman mentioned this, or somebody did, I think it was Herman on Twitter, but he, he had said something to the effect of calling him a box safety is false. They were interchangeable. In other words, uh, Adrian Amos and um, Eddie Jackson. And it's true. And I, I, think, I think Amos spent a little bit more time roving toward the, the line of scrimmage than Jackson did. But he played a lot of single high safety. Single high. So he in his wheelhouse of things that he's capable of doing, we go from single high he can obviously play too high because if you can't play that, then you're just not a safety, which is why we don't have any safeties on this team. But he also plays in the box. He can play in the slot. He can play corner. He can do all of these things. He's covering safeties. He's covering wide receivers. He's—he's, he's, I mean, his his read and react is really incredible. Just, just everything about him as you watch him, just a very quick, very instinctive guy. And yeah, there, there were times I kind of, you know, Especially in coverage, it's like, man, if if that ball had got there, he's kind of wide open. But the makeup speed after that, it's a flash. Like you got to be ready. You got to be staring at him and hit him quick because, you know, it's more the coming out of his break, he gets separation. But Amos is just flying back back to him, so he's open for like a second. And usually there's a linebacker there anyway, so it's not that big of a deal. But again, that is my that is the most exciting thing for me. It gives us this baseline of respectability to where you're looking at it, and you you just try to find the deficiencies. And they, they don't, I'm not going to say they don't exist because they do, but it's, it, it's anything we do along that defense now is, is a plus. Now, I, I, we could talk about the draft and what the best situation is at this point because I don't really know. At 12, let's say we take Brian Burns. The problem with that I have is somebody's sitting on the bench. Unless you want Zedarius or Preston on the inside all the time, but then that means Dean Lowry and, and those number three defensive tackles are just never going to be out there, and our outside linebackers are going to be defensive ends full time. And not that that's the worst thing in the world. And maybe on you know third and short they'll they'll pull Zedarius. Oh no, they wouldn't pull Zedarius. They would pull Brian Burns. Zedarius and Preston would be on the edge, and then you'd get you know Montravius or one of the bigger guys on the interior, uh, Tyler Lancaster or something to go plug up the middle along with Mike Daniels, and so it it can definitely work. But that would be the only, so, so in other words, the only heartburn I have about the draft now is that we might have too many guys and not wanting to, I just don't want talent on the bench is my whole thing. But again, I'm not going to fall into that trap of not getting a Brian Burn because getting that speed rusher off the edge is somebody we don't really have either, right? Pressure Preston Smith and zadarius Smith can generate, but speed bend guys, that's not what they are. Again, I think Zadarius is 275 and Preston is 265 big boys. So that would be th- that. So, so again, I don't want to make that sound negative because it's absolutely a positive because again, everything we add is a, just a boon to this team because now Brian Burns comes in and he's, he's a part of this rotation. That's just solid. And it becomes situational football. And because of the flexibility, Mike Pettin can do so many things, his ability to get after the quarterback and also kind of do situational based on the team. Based on what they're able to do, if, if they've got a guy at left tackle that is just slow, Brian Burns is just going to destroy him. If they've got somebody like, let's say, uh, Spriggs, who's all athleticism but just you know not a lot of technique, not very strong, not very big, I'm going to put Zadarius Smith in his face all day long and just smack him around. Not that Burns can't get past, but you, you see what I'm saying, right? Just, just a general example of what I'm talking about. It provides that and, and the, the flexibility to to drop them to play them up front, to play them along the line of scrimmage. I mean, just the flexibility. And you can have guys standing up. You can guys have guys hand in the dirt. You can have guys who are interior hand in the dirt that drop back into coverage because they're outside linebackers. Zadarius so Smith playing defensive end could, could drop back while Blake Martinez or Amos or whoever comes flying up for a blitz. You know, the, the just it's awesome. Then you look at defensive tackle. If, if we get a guy like Ed Oliver at 12, if he falls that far, well, now we have that interior pass rush from, from a guy who's as far as upside and getting after the pass rusher, and, and with what Mike Pettin has said about how much he loves interior pass rush and how it's as important, possibly even more important than rushing off the edge, a guy like that added to this defense, I mean, th- th- there should be no problem whatsoever getting home because at the end of the day, these are just cumulative numbers. I mean if if we just look at it mathematically and say that you know there's a certain number or certain percentage of the snaps that one player is going to get a pressure forget the sacks we're talking pressures you know, impact on a play, because that's something the Packers are missing altogether. And you've probably heard the stats that are being thrown around. I've seen a, a few different things on Twitter now, but, and I don't have the exact numbers, but it's something to the effect of taking our four top outside linebackers and the total number of pressures compared to these two new guys that we got and, and their total number of pressures, having, by the way, played significantly less snaps than, than the four guys cum- cumulatively. But even so, the, the amount of pressures the two guys that we now have have far outweighs them. But if you just think about it again as, as a percentage, out of, let's just say, I don't know, let's, let's look at Kenny Clark for an example here. The, on average, how many times does he rush the passer, which is generally how many times they're going to throw the ball because he doesn't come off very often. Let's say it's about 30. He generally was getting about 3.5 pressures per game. That's pretty impactful. Now, it's only 3.5, and, and by itself, that's not going to do a whole lot. But let, let's just say on average about 3 times he's he's at the very least hitting a quarterback which is making him think twice right he that doesn't account for very many he only had 4 of those in the year 6 times he's sacking the quarterback which is obviously very impactful because it just blows up the play but 36 times and this is the stat that is is i'm I'm very glad pro football focus tracks this because it's very impactful but is is never really accounted on a stat sheet 36 times throughout the season he hurried the quarterback. Now there are times when you hurry a quarterback and he still makes a play, but how many times do you see where you you get after the quarterback and you he has to break the pocket and it just blows up the play? He throws it away. He throws an interception. Whatever. But about three times a game, three and a half times a game, he's impacting it. Then you look at Mike Daniels, similar but possibly even better in terms of just being disruptive. And the reason I say better is about three. It was pretty similar. It was it was about three and a half times per game for him as well, but he's in on significantly less less snaps than Kenny Clark. So if you look at it as a percentage, it's, it's pretty through the roof. Because instead of 30 snaps, he's in for, I don't know, an average of about 25-ish. Let me see real quick. Yeah, 23.4 snaps a game, and he's still getting, out of those 23 times that he's even out there to impact the game, he's still getting about 3.2 to 3, you know, 3 to 3.5 pressures or impactful plays a game. So again, by itself, He's not going to change the game. I mean, he can. But now between the two, we've got about seven times. Remember, we're only talking about maybe 70 total snaps, which only a percentage of those are are passes. But out of 70 total snaps, now seven times, you got Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark all up in your face. That's just those two. But now's where it gets fun. Because now if we look at Clay Matthews, Clay is impacting the game a little less than two times per game. It was it was thirty total pressures he had throughout the entire season and he played all sixteen games. If we now replace that with Zadarius Smith, he was getting three point five per game. And also understand, I, I'm not even looking at, and we'll get into to different and better numbers in a little bit, I'm I'm still not even looking at the fact that he's probably going to be getting an increase in, in pass rush attempts because his snap count was relatively low in Baltimore. I, I shouldn't say that. It was it was it was fine. It was up there plenty, but he may see an uptick, but still, and it, it, by the way, 3.58 per game, I think is a little bit higher than what Kenny Clark brought. So that's what we get in Zadarius Smith. So we go from 1.8 to 3.5 per game, 3.6-ish. That's a big impact. So again, add that on to the already seven that we're getting from our two interior guys, and I'm not even including our third interior guy, whoever that may be, Dean Lowry, whatever, but I'm just, just look at the, imp- about 3.6 per, per game. That he's getting in somebody's face. And by the way, the ratio of sacks, hits, and hurries is pretty impressive. Not only is he one of those guys that, that impacts the play about twelve percent of the time and the percentage is a little bit more important than anything. But twelve percent is solid. Twelve percent is is that's that's pretty high. That's Kenny Clark high, that's that's high impact player. But also the ratio of, of, of pressures, how many of those are sacks? Well he had thirty four hurries, which is solid, but seventeen hits and ten sacks. This is a good football player. And again, we can talk about grades and we can talk about, you know, the fact that maybe sometimes he he's got better technique than others. But at the end of the day, as much as it would be nice if he was fundamentally sound on every single snap, when the game's over, the team is going to win or lose based on our ability to make plays. I mean, that we we've heard Dom Capers say that, we've heard Mike Patton, we've heard Mike McCarthy, we've heard a lot of people say that. Dom Capers' whole defense was predicated on getting big plays. Right? In other words, he he was fine with being fundamentally garbage. I'm, I'm kind of not being serious by saying that, but, you know, that's Ben don't break. Like, okay, yeah, whatever. You got a billion yards in that game. But at the end of the day, it comes down to not allowing points and getting more interceptions because there's a correlation be- to, between getting a ton of picks and winning football games and just getting guys that impact the play. Get off the field on third down. Now, think about that. It's third down. How frustrating is it? Is it? And again, let's get away from the grades, which I know that's more me than anybody else. But just think situationally. Think about this. It's third down. Third and long. How many times do we have to watch the Green Bay Packers not get off the field on third and long because nobody can get home? Now, if all we had previously was Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, that maybe could be part of the problem. Again, just just look at the percentages. What is the chance that one of these guys is going to have their one big play on this play? Well, the odds just went up quite a lot with Zadarius Smith. Now, Preston Smith is seen as more of a, a hold-the-edge kind of guy, but we should not necessarily look at take take him for granted. His overall percentage, in terms of percentage of the time that it was a pass-rush play and he ended up making an impact, was 11.3%. Again, anything over 10%, and you're a pretty decent pass rusher. That's sort of the, the standard. And then, you know, when you get to the the best in the NFL, which is Aaron Donald, we're talking 16 to 20%. Right, I think last year he had 16%. I know at one point he had like 20-ish, which is freakish, but that's freak territory. But 11, 12%, that's that's Kenny Clark, that's Mike Daniels, that's those are good pass rushers. These are guys that can impact plays. He's at 11.3. That's solid. He had 53 total pressures last year. That's a lot. 38 hurry. Now you look again. A lot of times we look up sack numbers, right? I I look at grades. Everybody else looks at stats. We just look at what we have as far as information, but. They credited him for six sacks. I don't know what the official number is. But he also had nine hits and 38 hurries. That's, I mean, and and that's, that's impactful for a guy that, you know, maybe he can't finish. He doesn't exactly have the speed, but he's got that initial burst and that pop and that strength to move the quarterback, to disrupt him, to make him get out of his spot. Also, how much does the interior pass rush benefit when there's exterior guys that can hold the edge? Think about it. If you're getting pushed up the middle, what does the quarterback have to do? Roll to the outside. Just move a little bit. You'll be all right. You can't do that if there is nowhere to go on the outside. Interior pass rush is only good if there's, you know, nowhere for the quarterback to go because typically 300-pound guys aren't going to be able to outrun quarterbacks. And if they can see you coming up the middle, they can move. Now, that results in a pressure and could actually blow up the play, which is great. But wouldn't it be nice if the quarterback didn't have anywhere to go? Or maybe if he did try to roll out, you got an outside linebacker that can disengage from a block and bring him down himself. Wouldn't that be nice? These are the kinds of things I'm talking about. These aren't the D Fords. These aren't guys that just get it done by the... D Ford is... I don't know. I I really don't want to use a basketball analogy because I don't watch it and I don't understand it and I don't want to sound ignorant. But let's just say LeBron James because I feel like that's a good one to go with. I would say Michael Jordan because that was the last time I actually watched basketball when I lived in Illinois and grew up watching him as a kid, and he was awesome. But, right, you, you've got those guys that it's like, I don't care what's around me. I really don't. Not that he wouldn't be, would, wouldn't be positively impacted by a good defensive line and another guy on the other side, but he's one of those guys that's just going to beat the guy in front of him. Right? I'm faster than you. I'm just going to run around you. So that's what's going to happen. I'm, I, you know, I can tell you what I'm going to do, and there's nothing you can do to stop it because I'm more athletic than you are. That's not really these guys. But these are the kinds of guys, when you have a good group, all together. That's what they had in Baltimore, by the way. Baltimore had a good group. Dominant defense, where just everywhere around was solid guys, where if everybody just kind of does their job, there's nothing you can do. These are guys that do their job. These are good football players. They're smart football players. They're aggressive football players. They're violent football players. It's not flashy. Again, these guys probably aren't going to be all over the news as far as best pass rusher in the NFL and all that kind of stuff, but they're going to be good football players. And again, as a team, as a unit, it becomes a problem because we've got guys that are going to disrupt plays. They're going to get off the field on third down because at some point, these guys are going to get their three impact plays a game. And by the way, Preston Smith was the same thing. He was 3.3 plays per game. So just across the board, if those are the, let's say we've got only four, we're in nickel or whatever, and those are the four guys. Well, there's let's do this let's look at Aaron Rodgers real quick so I can get an actual number and granted the Packers throw a lot but let's just look at it real quick so pass plays in a game on average Aaron Rodgers here so the team that threw a ton the Green Bay Packers it was about 48 times 48 pass plays and that's the high end right this is probably not we'll say 50 maximum well, I, I guess I shouldn't say that in a game because obviously the, the Packers' maximum was 71 pass plays. So I don't, I, whatever, 50. We'll call it 50. If we just average those four guys out at 3.2 per game, that's 12.8. Let's call it 13 times. So 13 out of 50 total pass plays. That's 26%. That's one in every four pass plays. Just our front four are making plays and disrupting them. Either that's a hit on the quarterback, a sack, a pressure. That's just those guys. That doesn't include if we have five guys up front in our base, where we have two outside linebackers and three defensive linemen. If Zadarius Smith is on the inside and you have Preston and Brian Burns as outside linebackers, what now does that become? If we have a guy, you know, again, in our base, what does Dean Lowry account for? Does he give us another two? What happens if we go out and get an Ed Oliver? What does he provide? Can he give us another three and a half? Now, we're not even talking yet about the impact that our linebackers make. We're not talking about the impact that our corners make because we're just talking about 20, about a quarter of the time our defensive line is making plays. So what does Amos contribute to this past game? How many times does he break up a pass. Can he give us one a game? How many times does he just guard a guy and, and keep him from, from catching a pass? You know, running him out of bounds or whatever the case may be. How many times do we have coverage sacks or whatever because somebody else is, 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 is covered or, or throwaways? Maybe there isn't a pressure, but the guy just rolls out about, you know, these are all play. And again, there's only, they only got 50 chances in the passing game. We're not talking about running at this point in time. That's another question. But in the pass game, where the Packers have struggled to have an impact, whether it's our corners, our safeties, our pass rush, whatever. We just need guys to give us those three plays. And then consider, uh, you know, what, what does a pass cost? Your average pass is what? A dump off that goes for five? Okay, you got 49 left, right? It's just, just looking at the numbers. How much better is this defense with these two guys? Again, not super flashy, not super great, but they're going to give us a chance, we're going to be not terrible, right? So the PFF numbers that they have, they've got pass rush productivity is what it's called. That's their proprietary thing. And basically it looks at exactly what we talked about, but it weights sacks a little bit more than, for example, pressures. I think it's sacks, then hits, then hurries. I'm not exactly sure how they weighted, but um, for example, Aaron Donald was 11.5. He was the highest. Jerry Hughes was next. So it's, again, Aaron Donald has a billion pressures, and it's at 16% overall. But if you weight sacks a little bit higher than something else, you come out with different numbers. And that's a good way to do it, because although weighting is going to be somewhat subjective anyways, it gives a little bit of a better idea of your overall impact as a pass rusher. Because now it's looking at, as a percentage, how often do you impact, and how big of an impact was it? That's an extra added dimension. So now this is what we're looking at here. Looking at the Green Bay Packers in 2018 and this is using edge rush and defensive interior the top person on this list from 2018 going into 2019 is zadarius smith he ranked 21st in the nfl and again this is interior and exterior guys we're talking defensive tackles defensive ends and outside linebackers and i mean every strange breed in between but these are this is a lot of football players man 198 to be exact so based on this metric, he officially is, and it depends on his ability to continue what he did last year, but based on last year's metric, he is our best pass rusher. That's above Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, and that's impressive because Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels are pretty talented pass rushers. They're disruptive forces. And this is, I mean, this is good good company to be in, man. A little bit further down the list, at 26 is Mike Daniels. You slide a little bit further down, you had Kyler Fackrell at 38. And again, remember, this is a percentage. So you, you, you know, How is Mike Daniels above Kyler Fackrell? Well, Mike Daniels didn't play very much. He was on a limited snap count as it was, and then he got hurt. So it, it was a smaller percentage. So you have to look at sacks and hits and hurries as a percentage of how many times he was on the field during pass plays, and then also weight it based on you know sacks being weighted higher and this, that, or the other. So then as you slide down, you get to Kenny Clark at 48. And again, nobody has a problem with Kenny Clark that are Packer fans, and nobody should because he's very good, right? He's good across the board in a lot of, of, a lot of areas, but at 48, and, and we're, we're talking about top 50, top 50 is acceptable just by itself. That's, that's a decent, you know, I guess if it was, if I'm using my normal thirty-two sixty-four metric, he's a number two, he would be a good number two interior defensive player, but this is with defensive interior and out exterior. So 48 is incredible. Well, Preston Smith is two guys behind him at 51. So Preston Smith and Kenny Clark were kind of on the same page as far as how good a pass rushers they were last year. That should get everybody excited. That should get, and again, I, I don't know if any one of these guys necessarily gets 10 sacks. They all have the ability. I think Zadarius should probably be at the top as far as what we would expect. Um, you know, Kyler Fackrell, if he can duplicate, has the ability to get 10. We know that. But but forget the, the 10 overall because what I care about is the team. Think about it this way, would you rather have one guy that gets 16 and a bunch of useless guys that get zero, obviously a ridiculous thing, but let's just pretend, or four guys that get five? Again, I'm not saying that's what the Packers are going to get, they're going to get more than five, but cumulatively, we're talking about the difference between 16 and 20. And cumulatively, the Packers are a lot better now. And it's, you know, again, I'm not so worried about the 10-sack guy because we got a bunch of 8-sack guys. That's a lot of sacks, that's a lot of hits, that's a lot of hurries, that's a lot of pressures. And again, as I said, these are, these are guys that are just in their prime. Let me tell you what I know happened with the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens right now are furious with the Green Bay Packers, and they are furious with Milt Hendrickson. Milt Hendrickson was a, a bigwig over with Baltimore for a very, very, very long time. Uh, the Packers tried to poach him last year, I believe, and they, they weren't able to get him extremely talented I'm, I I mean somebody that we should be talking more about because he's he's a very very talented college scout he's going to help us a lot as far as you know in the draft and, and getting talent but listen look at baltimore and how many players they're purging suggs is gone for the first time in, in forever he's been there since what 2003 or something ridiculous they knew for a very long time and milt Hendrickson knew as a baltimore raven that a time would come when suggs would leave and zadarius smith was his replacement. Zadarius Smith is next man up. He's the guy that we drafted. He's the guy that we groomed. He's ready. He's solid. He's a great player in our 3-4 system. He's a great guy for our for our team. And we, we we have to make sure that he's able to come up. We gotta make sure that he's able to be on this team. The Packers took him away. And that's 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 what I love about all this because we're not getting away from draft and develop necessarily. Because usually the two things, especially if you look at the way the Packers did it, you got two things. You got draft and develop young guys. You got young guys, you you try to make them into good guys, and if they're not good, you get rid of them. And then you've got like super old guys that patch holes. And that can be split into two categories. You got super old guys like Julius Peppers, who are really old but really good and can help get us over the hump. And then you got really old guys like Jari Evans that are not really that great anymore, but they're going to patch a hole that I just filled by getting rid of, of Lang. This is a different thing where another team drafted and developed a good football player and we're going to take their second contract. Whether it's because of, you know, Adrian Amos where the Bears basically can't pay him. And I'm, I'm, I'm not even really mad at the Bears. Bears fans saying Amos isn't good, by the way, are just delusional. The Bears absolutely wanted to keep him. The rumor is they wanted to use a franchise tag but decided they didn't want to do that. But it makes sense because you look at how much money they have to spend on that entire defense and you look at how much talent they have on that defense. I mean of all those guys Amos isn't really franchise worthy because he's not a franchise player. He's a very good player but you, but you got Eddie Jackson, you got Khalil Mack, you got all these guys. I mean is 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 Adrian Amos a franchise player? No. He's a very 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 good player who's a very big part of our team and we're going to try as hard as we can to keep him. But at the end of the day, they don't have the money and they don't have the massive need that we have, so the Packers swooped in and just took him. And I don't know how we got him. I would love to know. If anybody's listening to this that has access that does the the interviews for whatever, please ask him why he chose Green Bay. Because you cannot tell me there weren't a bunch of other teams offering him 9 million a year. What was it? Was there something in the contract that made it more appealing? Was it a bigger signing bonus that, you know, Packers love those signing bonuses which is always seen as a negative. I don't know why that would be a negative. First of all, how is a signing bonus not guaranteed money? A signing bonus means you show up, you sign here, you get a check for Ten, twenty million dollars. What am I going to do? Repossess your car if you don't do well? No, no, no. Half of that signing bonus wasn't guaranteed. Where's your car? Give me the keys. You want to visit it? It'll be in my garage. Thanks a lot. Maybe next year you won't be terrible. But I, I don't know. That seems like an awesome thing for me. Like, here's the deal: we'll give you a bunch of money. Here's the problem, though: we're going to give it to you all right now. Is that okay? Or would you rather we spread it out over the course of four years? Like, no, no, no. <laughs> No, it's fine. I'll I'll take it now in cash. That's fine. It's not like you're in a higher tax bracket. Like, oh man, I was in the $8 million tax bracket. Now I'm in the $20 million tax bracket. That's a brutal one right there. But anyways, it's it's just, these are the next up-and-coming guys. These are the guys that teams, this is what you draft for. And it's just, it's, it's awesome because, it, you know, the, the, and the fact of the matter is Ted Thompson missed on some players. As a result of missing, we don't have to allocate our money to our guys. So we just allocated it to their guys. These are the guys that we would have been happy to have drafted and given second contracts to. And I, I just, I love this. I absolutely love this. Again, not because it, I'm, I'm not being a homer like, oh man, I love this because they're elite and they're going to be so great. As an overall philosophy Getting guys on their second contract that are, that are good football players makes sense. In other words, if this was my guy and we drafted him, would we pay him to stay? Yes. So if we can poach guys from other teams because of unfortunate circumstances or whatever, I don't know how we got the guy from Baltimore. They have got to be furious about that situation because they don't have anybody left. They, they, they got rid of their entire team because either they can't afford guys like C.J. Mosley, which how ridiculous is it that he's making $17 million a year? That is just, that's silly money. Or Suggs, who's just too old. But, I mean, again, Zadarius is the guy they're trying to keep, but how do you keep pace with $16 million a year? And I am interested in the, in the way the contract, and I, I cannot believe. I'm, I'm, I I'm have touched on nothing, and I feel like I've been talking for 10 minutes, and it's incredible. I, it's been 50 minutes. I'm, I'm absolutely astounded at that. I feel like I haven't talked about anything yet, which is why I said this is going to take many days. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. um, one of the things that's interesting about it, I, w- I was just trying to, like, rack my brain. Like, what could this possibly mean? How could this possibly be structured? Let's just do a thought exercise and just make up random numbers. Because there's two separate things that we're dealing with here. There's the cap and the cap hit, right? How much that we get, the, the Packers get penalized in the, in the salary cap or whatever. And then there's the guaranteed money, which is essentially cash paid to the player. So those are the two things that we have to kind of balance and, and work through. So let's just say of the 66 million, let's just say 40 million is guaranteed. I don't know. Maybe the number's already out there. I don't care. Again, it's just a thought exercise because I want to talk about why this matters. And by the way, any numbers that are out there, as um, Nagler said like 17 times yesterday, please don't pay attention to any numbers. Nothing's official until it's official. But let's just pretend it's 66 million and 40 of it is guaranteed. Now, there's rumors that they're going to give him a $20 million signing bonus. That's a lot. And again, that's guaranteed. That money is in his pocket already. We're not getting that back. I also heard that we're gonna be paying him roughly eight million dollars. That was that was pure speculation that that I don't I mean I shouldn't say that. Uh, Silverstein said it. So let's just work with those numbers and see what it looks like. So first of all, the 20 million dollar signing bonus gets spread over four years. So that would be let, let's just keep it even. It's five million a year. So if we take that five million and spread out the bonus over over the four years, in order to get 2019 up to $8 million, that would mean we'd have to pay him $3 million of base salary this year, which is crazy low, but let's just roll with that, right? Because three plus five is eight, which would all count against the cap. Now, total cash going to Zedarius Smith is $20 million plus the $3 million in base. So $23 million he's getting paid possibly today. So just looking at it right now, of the $40 million that's guaranteed, 23 is already gone. So if, if next year, let's say that bumps up, his base bumps up to $10 million. Now the bonus is already paid out. So we, we can't count that against the cash, but it does count against the cap. So if we had pay him $10 million in year two, let's make it 12 because I'm nervous about how little we're paying him. Then that means in year two, he has a cap hit of $18 million. That's a lot. You know what? No, forget that. Let's bring it back down to 10. That means in year two, he has a cap hit of $16 million. Now, $16 million is what we're expecting to pay him anyways. So nobody that's a Packer fan is going to look at 16 and go, oh, that's a lot. Here's the here's the interesting thing, though. Of the cash that's been paid out, $33 million is already in his pocket. So how much guaranteed money is left? We're only on the hook. If, if this guy's not any good and we decide we want to get rid of him and we don't want him to play in 2021, he's only owed $7 million. So it's, it's a $7 million cap hit, but he's gone. And we haven't had super serious cap problems, right? We paid him eight million, then we paid him sixteen million, and now it's a seven million dollar dead cap hit and he's gone. The bigger problem now is that we owe him a an additional thirty three million dollars over the next two years. So if we just split that up, that's sixteen point five million. Which would mean for twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, he now is being paid twenty one point five million dollars. Now that's a lot, but it's kind of one of those things where At that point in 2020, we have to assess what he is. If he is a very good pass rusher, and keep in mind, again, every year, the money gets blown out. We now have linebackers making $17 million. Pass rushers getting paid $20 million in two years from now is not probably going to be all that much. So if he legitimately has proven that he is a solid number one guy, he's a 10-sack guy, he's a good, solid edge guy, he's a versatile guy who can go off the edge, you can go inside and he's, he, he's worth $21 million, then who cares? Then he's worth it. The other thing, too, is, and I don't exactly know, I'm, I'm working on understanding the cap, but we can probably, because the guarantees are gone, we can probably turn a lot of this extra money that's floating out there that's non-guaranteed as opposed to making it base, we could make it incentive-based because it's not guaranteed money. He's only owed $7 million that we've promised him. So we can take you know millions and millions of dollars and turn it into... I don't know, workout bonuses and all these different bonuses. In other words, you have to show up to these things and do these things in order to earn the money. If you do, great. If you don't, then you don't get it and it doesn't count against our cap. So after that $33 million, a lot of this money is probably incentive. But the the, the cool thing, again, and, and the reason I point this out is the whole contract structured this way is incentive based. In other words, if it's $40 million, $40 million is what we're promising you. But there's 66 million dollars sitting on the table. Go get it. This is a bet on yourself kind of contract, which is maybe how we stole him away from the, the 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 Ravens. I don't know, but it's possible the Ravens are looking at it. It's similar to Preston Smith and a lot of these guys they're talking about, you know, I mean, Zadarius and Preston, I don't know, 10, 12, maybe 13 million. Maybe the Ravens are like, look, we'll give you. 14. We'll get crazy. I'll give you $14 million. And the Packers come out and they're like, all right, look, here's a situation. We'll give you sixteen million, but you gotta earn it. If you think, and granted, this isn't like some crazy thing that the Packers maybe thought of, this is just a general NFL contract, but it's it's a bet on yourself contract. In other words, we're willing to put down sixteen million per year if you're willing to prove it. And you've basically got two years to prove that you're worth, you know, a $21 million cap hit to earn. Because, again, even from his standpoint, he's not looking at it like, well, I got all my money, so what do I care? I can just, you know, lay an egg and they can cut me all they want. Because, again, in 2021, what's his base? It's $16.5 million. So he's he's earning twenty three this year. Then next year he's only getting ten. But then twenty twenty one it jumps from ten to sixteen and a half million dollars that he has the potential to put in his pocket. And again, that's probably not all going to be base. It's going to be split up into bonuses that he's got to go out and, and find. You know, you got to show up and you got to work out and you got to do this and you got to do you know maybe get x amount of sacks or whatever. But you have sixteen and a half million waiting for you. You don't need to to just work the two years and then get cut and then go get somewhere else and get paid. You got 16 point so so we're giving you incentive all the way through your contract to go out and dominate. So you can maybe take Baltimore's 14 million a year or whatever you know again I'm, I'm making all this up, but I'm just explaining because 16 seems high to me. but again this is this is also why we need to understand the full contract and also understand the guarantees because if it's if it's 40 millionish in guarantees or or, or less or more, then we kind of get an idea of how much of this is incentive. Because the less the guarantees, the more that this is basically you have to prove it to get the re- to get the rest. Because the guarantee is all you're really getting at this particular point in time. It's all the Packers are locked into. And it's all we as fans should really be worried about. Because it's basically saying we're only paying him this much. If it's $40 million over four years, we're essentially paying him $10 million a year. We'll end up paying him more if he proves that he's worth more. So in other words, we don't have to be worried about that either because we're not going to pay him if he's not worth it. I mean, if we just took a contract on its, on its face, we would still owe Nick Perry a lot of money for a long time. The fact of the matter is we don't. We're going to pay him a good sizable amount of money to go away, and then we don't have to pay him for the remaining years. So we're not stuck with him. And we don't have to pay him his 14 15 whatever it was, million dollars a year for the next two years, three years, whatever. He sucked up all his guarantees. He's not working out. So all that money, he left it on the table. That's his problem. He didn't go earn it, so he doesn't get the rest of it. That's not my problem. That's not the Packers' problem. That's his problem. He left that money on the table. And now he has to try to go out to another team and try to earn some money. And he's not going to get what the Packers would have given him had he just played up to the standard that he had set when he earned the contract. But he didn't. He laid an egg. The contract is set up such a way that if you don't perform, you don't get paid. So now he's gone. And we're going to get a couple more young guys that have the opportunity to come out and prove it. And it's, it's, it's just it's a beautiful thing. And I love the way that these contracts potentially could be. If it's, if it's high guarantees, I'm going to be a little bit worried. But even, I mean, I can't, it can't be that much higher than 40 out of a $66 million contract. I mean, I, I guess it could be 50, 60. I don't know. But that was just an example. We'll reexamine it when we find out what exactly it is. I really don't want to stop talking because we haven't touched on the draft. We haven't done anything yet. But uh, we're at an hour, so uh, I'm going to let it go at that. And uh, we'll regroup and get some new information, some more information, probably find a couple more little nuggets of information about these guys. Did not even mention the guard that we got, which kind of doesn't matter because I'm not super thrilled about him. But we'll see what happens. I'll just leave you with this tidbit. It's being said that he 100% is the starting guard. Nah, he's going to come in and compete. <laughs> hes hes I promise you, he's not being handed this job by anybody. I understand Byron Bell is bad, but everybody seems to forget that we still have Justin McRae, and there's a very good chance that Justin McRae, again, I am the number one in in 2017, I was the number one anti-McRae guy on the entire planet. I'm telling you right now, McRae is getting better, and McRae might already be better than the guy we just signed for $7 million a year, but we'll see. He's got He's similar to a lot of these other guys. He's got a lot of upside. He's got a lot of potential kind of hard to read between the lines because he's gone from tackle to guard you know left tackle left guard right guard right tackle he's he's played it all back and forth uh he's been benched he's been hurt he's been all over the place so we haven't been able to see him consistently just sit at one spot but again that's that's where i'll leave that i guess but anyways lots of reasons to be optimistic we'll see what our salary cap situation is maybe there's some more moves to be made maybe we're going to be signing some of our free agents um but more to come have a great wednesday i'll talk to you tomorrow bye bye